America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Today on Radical Personal Finance, we do a live Q&A on my pre-conference discussion here to find out what we're going to talk about tells me that it's going to be disability insurance intensive today on RPF. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being with me. This is the show where we work hard every day to talk about living a rich life now while also building a plan for financial freedom or less uh, in 10 years or less. Did a show, started a series on disability insurance, and evidently I beat a few out you out of the bushes, and you're saying, hey, Joshua, we need to pay attention and figure out what to do. Most Fridays here on Radical Personal Finance, I try to do a live Q&A call. This live Q&A call is open to patrons of the show. Uh, if you're interested in that program, if you're interested in speaking to me uh, on a call like this, uh, you can go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron, sign up to be a patron of the show, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. And so the way it works is I show up to a phone line and uh, I uh, pop the microphone open and I say hello. And usually before I play the music, I, I do a quick um, just ask people what they want to talk about. Uh, and uh, today it seems like we're going to be talking about disability insurance. So this ought to be fun. Uh, let's kick it off. Uh, let's see here. Dustin, let's go to you first. Go ahead and ask your question. Let me see how I can serve you today. Yes, sir. All right. So I will, um, I'll, I'll try and be brief with my background information. Uh, I am a uh, physical therapist, a uh, full-time physical therapist. I'm married to a lovely woman that is a physician. Uh, she is a resident physician about to finish up her emergency medicine residency in about three or four weeks. Um, so this week's uh, topics have been very pertinent to us. Uh, it it has honestly been a uh, a terrible struggle uh, for her and, and both of us. Honestly, just uh, if anyone listened to that previous episode with the happy philosopher, a lot of the things that he said is definitely the experience of of my wife and you know many of her colleagues. So the result of that is that she plans on working uh, two years full time, uh, which you know will be a lot of money <laughs> in terms of income is what we're used to. But after that two-year commitment, uh, she she may stop working. Uh, she may, you know, go down to part-time. Not real clear, but we are. It is pretty clear that that she is not um, finding fulfillment in her work and is not enjoying it. And I I don't want her to feel stuck in this this position. So all I have to say, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, recommending you know disability income insurance, and we're kind of going down that route. And most of of what we're hearing is is, you know, to get these, these pretty large monthly benefits, you know, for us, you know, 6,500 to 10,000 a month, which some people may be laughing, but for us, I mean, that, that just seems like a a lot of money. Uh, We're, we're spending about 3,000 a month uh, right now on our expenses and, you know, just saving as much as we can. I'd say we, uh, we try and follow a lot of what you talk about and would probably be considered mustachians 
to some, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm having a tough time of just figuring out what is an appropriate amount of coverage that we should get based on our lifestyle, our expenses, and the fact that my, my wife will more than likely uh, not be earning a lot of money uh, as an emergency room physician in the long run. Because she more than likely she will not be earning a lot of money because she intends to uh, stop working or to pull back to some kind of part time system, or, or is there another reason? Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's why we want to start a family, and uh, right, yeah. Right. So that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry that she's not enjoying it. It's funny. I have a friend of mine who uh, just gone into uh, that work of 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 he's mm. in medical school right now, and I think it'll be a perfect fit. I may have mentioned it on the interview with. Uh, 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 with the happy philosopher where we were talking about, uh, you know, yeah, going, you did. I did. Okay. I thought, I thought I did sometimes cause I don't do the interviews in the same day or, or that I release them. Mm-hmm. And so I get them confused sometimes, but yeah. Um, yeah. and it, emergency room medicine has always seemed like a, 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 an interesting area to me, I guess it's my love of blood and gore and, and, and saving lives. <laughs> and <laughs> I always thought it would be fun yeah. to be, to, to work in that industry where you can help people right at that point of most critical, critical need. But I do, yeah. but let me, maybe I, I have too weak of a stomach probably to handle it. So um, let me actually (laughs) answer your question here. It's a a difficult question. So let me give you uh, a couple of ways to think about it. The major mindset in general uh, of someone like me, a traditional financial planner, the major mindset of most of us is going to be to protect the absolute maximum because most people Mm. have as their number one goal to maximize their financial earning capacity. And so my mind immediately goes to giving you the recommendation, buy as much disability insurance as you can get because mm-hmm. most people, once they have it, they usually don't, uh, don't want to get rid of it. And if the worst case scenario happens, it's a lot easier to be disabled with a lot of money coming in than it is to be disabled with only a little bit of money or no money coming in. Uh, I think mm-hmm. of, of, of a couple of – disabled people that I interacted with. One was a cardiologist and he had – I forget the, the the circumstances of his disability but it was one of these things that disabled him from working as a cardiologist but didn't result in his being in his bed flat on his back 24 hours a day. He was okay. to the casual observer not disabled but he was disabled from from his ability to function in his specialty. And so, you know, he had $15,000 a month coming in on his disability insurance policy and he was able to um he had maxed it out. Uh you could generally 15,000 a month uh is the max with many companies. Sometimes you can get up to 25,000 a month um is where you max out on disability insurance. But he his lifestyle, he had younger children. His lifestyle was pretty good because he had $15,000 a month coming in and he could mm-hmm. – uh, he was essentially retired off of his disability policy. So you get someone like me who's interacted with guys like him and I want in the worst case scenario to make sure that your family would be in the same situation. So our first yeah. bent is to go toward saying uh, get as much as you can. Now – from a strictly needs-based perspective, that's not the necessarily the appropriate way to plan. If we were just focusing on needs and had the goal of minimizing cost, then we would say go ahead and get the minimum level of disability insurance necessary in order to provide 
the, the basic level. Uh, now, of course, as an insurance agent, I probably have a conflict of interest wanting you to buy a lot more. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was an insurance agent, I'm no longer an insurance agent. But if I were an insurance agent, I, I want you to buy a big policy. So is that what's affecting me to want to get the most? It's hard to say. I, I don't think so, but I certainly concede that it's a reality. So if mm-hmm. your expenses are $3,000 a month, um, maybe you should just get a basic $3,000 a month um, uh cost. Now, the other side though is as a financial planner, what I have seen again and again is that people's plans change. So for example, right now you might be able and comfortable and desirous of living on $3,000 a month. You might be committed very wholeheartedly toward early retirement, not intending to go through lifestyle inflation, but practically something might change. You might desire to have a bigger house. You might um, have uh, five kids. You might have uh, a situation where uh, you contract some uh, expensive medical illness or you start taking up a hobby that's important to you, uh, but all of a sudden now your expenses go up and now your expenses go from 3000 to $5,000 a month. And This is a danger point with those who are very focused on hardcore early retirement. I'm going to live on $1,000 a month forever. Well, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. <laughs> like. Yeah. A lot of us change and we, we mellow a little bit as time goes on. Maybe you don't hate your job so much and you find that I actually do have a really flexible work environment. So those are some different ways of looking at it. And you could even look at it and say, well, listen, uh, if she's just going to work for two years and um, you your income is sufficient to pay your bills because that's what you've been doing during uh, the course of of, of, of uh, while she's in school, then we'll, well, I'll just I'll just pay my bills and we'll just we'll just run the risk without it. Okay. I don't know how to make the answer for you. I'll tell you what I think I would do yeah. in this situation. I think what I would do in your situation is I would account for the unknown by purchasing a large policy now that would be the maximum that she could get based upon her income, which would be about 60%. Uh, if, depending on if she has any group coverage or not, it would be anywhere from 60 to uh, 80%. Do you know what you expect her income to be um, when she starts practicing for the first two years? Yeah, I believe um, she's she's a contract employee, and it'll be an hourly rate, but it'll come out to be three hundred twenty to three hundred forty. Okay, so at three hundred twenty to three hundred forty, you she should be able to get anywhere from about sixty percent of her salary to sixty to seventy percent. So okay. that'll be a benefit of let's just see here three hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. Let's just do sixty percent divided by twelve. So we're talking a monthly benefit of about sixteen. Uh, $16,000 a month under that situation. So probably be okay. a little under that. And the reason why I'm hemming and hawing is because the higher your income goes, the more the total benefit that an insurance company is willing to offer you, but the lower the percentage of your income. If you were making $40,000 a year, you could cover practically all of your after-tax income uh, with a disability insurance policy. But if you're making $400,000 a year, the percentage that they'll cover goes down a lot, but the dollar amount is much higher. But I would I would look at the costs and I would consider buying a big policy knowing that she is working in the next couple of years. And I would do it for a couple of reasons. Number one, if she were to become disabled in the next year or two, by some um, uh, unfortunate event, then at least you would have the higher 
cost uh, policy there. Number two, you said that you were hopeful of uh, of starting a family and so of her uh, mm-hmm. of her becoming pregnant. So in that situation, uh, disability insurance policies do pay out under pregnancy if pregnancy results in a disability. So if she had a difficult pregnancy or something like that and she were put on bed rest during the course of the pregnancy, then you would have at least the higher benefit and that would be helpful. Uh, and I would just look at it and say it's possible that you or she might change your minds and it would be nice to have the insurance recognizing that you can always drop it or go down. And okay. uh, so if she started with a policy that were say 15000 a month or 10000 a month, you have to run the premium cost on that. Uh, and uh, And then she decides, you know what, I don't want to do this or I want to just work part-time, you can always just – Call them up, and you can drop it from ten thousand dollars to thirty five hundred dollars a month—a benefit to cover your expenses. Mm-hmm. And there's no underwriting involved in that situation. But you can't do the opposite. So you can't have her getting a thirty five hundred dollar policy now, and then wanting in the future to increase it without her still be working full time. Uh, now, what I would also do in order to help you make the decision is I would calculate what the difference in the premiums is. So let's say she's getting a quote and it's $1,400 a month for a, a for one policy and it's $700 a month for another. I'm making numbers up. Uh, and now you've got to say, well, how valuable to us is this $700 of savings versus the potential benefit? But those are the factors that I would weigh. Uh, it's a tough question, a uh, tough question to answer, and I'm sorry yeah. that I can't uh, I can't make the decision for you. Oh well, no, that 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 is helpful just to have have your perspective, and that definitely we have a, a financial advisor as well, um, and he, yeah, he's on the same mindset, and uh, that I mean that is helpful, and it, I think it's for for me not going through the situation before, and you know I'm I'm only thirty years old, she's twenty nine, and and just our uh, lack of experience in life, you know, it's so easy for us to think that those bad things won't happen, and. And to see that money going out every month for the premium, but then uh, to hear just to think of kind of the worst case scenarios and prepare for them is is helpful. So yeah, so yeah, I appreciate that. It's tough. Insurance is one of those things that is just very difficult, but especially with someone like an emergency yeah. room physician. I mean, what 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 always in some of it sometimes is a little bit overly sensational sales language, and some of it is actually practical mm-hmm. situation. Um, she's an emergency room physician. Um, something happens, she, she hurts her hurts her hand. That's going to impact and dramatically affect her. Surgeons are, are, are very, very sensitive to that. Uh, and when we get into the world of, of what's appropriate insurance for physicians, it's, it's, a, it's a very specialized world. You need to make sure she, she is careful. Work with your financial advisor. Make sure you're working with someone who does a lot of business in the disability insurance for physicians world so you can get the best policy to cover her. But um, you know, an inju- a hand injury that for other people would not be disabling to her – would take her out of the ability to practice. So yeah. that's one of the reasons why it's so important. You've invested. The, the other thing I would encourage you is consider. She has thus far invested many, many hours and many, many dollars in her education to develop her earning ability. Um, I think that's an investment worth protecting with disability insurance, mm-hmm. recognizing that things yeah. can change and recognizing that if she chooses to in ten, two years um, – Stop working outside the house, then you can go ahead and just dump it at that point in time. There's no requirement that you keep it for any period of time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next um, question. Would oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, go ahead. Dustin. I, I was going to ask if you if you wanted some social proof. Um, <laughs> sure. For, for sure. Any new, <laughs> Bring new it on. Listeners. <laughs> yeah. I just I just wanted to share. Um, just I, I mean I've been listening to you since the beginning, 
since you're crouched on your what in your bed in your bed <laughs> my guest bedroom <laughs> or whatever it was yeah so but I, I do home health so i'm i'm driving you know two to three hours a day so I, i've every day that you release you know i'm listening to that episode that day and you know just i've tried to act on as much as i can and then you know what almost two years now you've been podcasting i believe mm-hmm. uh in that in that period you know my wife and i based on her tough situation we paid off you know, over $90,000 in her student loan debt, you know, over an 18 month period, just, just with the, the emotional component that a lot of people didn't uh, get or calculate. And, and you really helped us uh, view that. But then also just the career advice, you know, I started a podcast of my own and uh, just the, the fruit of that has been crazy in terms of being able to speak, go to, you know, potential conferences and whatnot down the road. So any new listeners, uh, Joshua Sheets uh, knows the stuff. If you act on his advice, good things will happen. And I'm, I feel like I've definitely been a testimony to that. So I just want to take that opportunity just to thank you, you know, for what you're doing and encourage you that, you know, you're making an impact. I appreciate it, Dustin. Your check's in the mail. Don't worry. It'll be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Next caller here. Halawe, go ahead. All right. Thanks for taking my call. So I really enjoyed your uh, disability insurance episode as well. Um, I had no idea how important it was until I heard all your logical points. And I want to thank you for enlightening us on that. And uh, I second what Dustin said about your um, cons- consultation and um, the advice that you give on your podcast as well. Thank you. I appreciate so, that. Um, yeah. So – I'm considering strongly going full-time uh, in my business in January and moving on from my day job. Um, you told me during our awesome consult that I should uh, consider getting disability insurance before then. My wife works full-time as well, and I project that my salary would be cut by 60% or so when I go full-time, but it'll probably increase over the next year. Um, so I have three or three to five questions. So will my coverage change or the insurance insurer treat me differently once I go full-time into my business, or is it something like they don't have to know kind of situation? Uh, You stated in your episode, that it's impossible for you to get disability disability insurance now that you're full-time in your business. Um, Do you want me to go through all the questions at once? Uh, Let me go ahead and answer just the first one, uh, and then we'll we'll go on to the next one. So uh, I'll answer – there's kind of a two-parter there. Short answer is uh, when you get the the coverage, you will purchase it under your current W-2 income and your salary. And then if you also want to apply for it based upon your business income, they will factor that in. When you apply for disability insurance, the underwriting process involves your releasing an up-to-date income statement of your income for the past three years. Uh, and this is generally across the board. There can be exceptions depending on different companies. Uh, there are always exceptions to these things. I'm just talking about industry norms. But you'll put in three years of of income. Uh, for W-2 employees, it's simple. You just list out your W-2 in- Wages. Uh, you'll also put in your past few years of income that's associated with your business. So if you have a profitable business, you'll go ahead and submit uh, sometimes tax returns and sometimes uh, you'll submit uh, you know income statements, things like that. The 
bigger the numbers involved, the more extensive the financial underwriting. Uh, so disability insurance policies are always underwritten on a medical basis and also on in-depth financial underwriting. So submitting a, a year or a couple years of tax returns is not uncommon. In order to figure out the appropriate amount of insurance that they will offer, they'll never offer you 100% of your income uh, because uh, you know you have no incentive. You have, you have a, you're, it results in an adverse selection against the company where you're incentivized to be disabled rather than to go back to work. But they'll calculate that information together and they'll calculate usually an average of the three years or they'll look at extenuating circumstances. Uh, if you've had, for example, a significant increase in salary in the last year, the underwriters will look at that. They'll ask questions about uh, the circumstances. And if they expect it going forward, they may issue a higher amount, but they'll issue the policy at a certain amount. Now, once you have that policy, uh, you're going to have a policy that's guaranteed renewable. Uh, and uh, and the as we record this call, I've just released the podcast, which was yesterday's podcast, which goes over some of these disability insurance terms. But the guaranteed renewable contract means that as long as you pay the insurance premium, the company can't take it away from you. Now, at the time of application, they will give you application questions, and one of those questions will be, do you intend to change jobs, change positions, or uh, otherwise in the coming you know, insert period of time? That period of time and the specific wording of that question will vary among companies. So if it's if it's uh, something like 24 months and if you have a, a period of time in which you intend to actually change jobs, let's say that you said, no, in this this month, I'm changing jobs, then you need to say, yes, I do. I'm going to be starting my own business. They'll take that into account um, and they'll go ahead and underwrite it based upon that expectation. Uh, they'll ask about the nature of the business, et cetera, and sometimes it can be no problem. Sometimes it can be a problem. The simplest thing to do is when you don't – is to apply for it before you know of any specific changes that are happening. That's always the cleanest because then you don't have to worry, well, what's going to happen? So sometimes you can look at that and you can ethically say, well, in the future, I know I want to do this, but I haven't submitted a resignation letter. I haven't written down that at this point in time I'm going to uh, I'm going to you know make this certain change and so it's just cleaner if you can answer that question and say um, no I don't intend to change jobs. One of the reasons, one thing on that, and um, I, I'm in here I'm not specifically speaking to you, uh, speaking in general. It's very important to always answer questions on insurance applications truthfully and accurately because if you. Uh, the only thing that you risk that you face is if you uh, lie on an application, on an insurance application, and you uh, get to the point and you say, okay, well, I'm not changing jobs, and then you know, one month later you change jobs, and then you get disabled. Well, if they go back and, and they're looking at that, if they could prove that you committed fraud, for example, you had already signed a letter of intent with a company that, where you were transferring – uh, if they could prove that you committed fraud, they have the right to to not pay the claim, and thus you lose the benefit of the coverage. So you always need to answer things exactly accurately and exactly truthfully, so that you don't have uh, so that you don't have any problems down the road. But it is always more convenient if you can a- answer things accurately and truthfully before you have intentions. Let me give an example from my own life. Um, one of the reasons why I um, 
have as much life insurance as I have, uh, which is probably more than I need, is simply because I know the value of having it when you're young and healthy and free of any dangerous hobbies. When I was purchasing uh, my first couple of life insurance policies, I hadn't gone scuba diving in many years, so I didn't have to deal with answering scuba questions. I don't have a, a pilot's license. I don't have uh, – I don't race cars or snowmobiles or motorcycles or boats or go-karts on the weekend. But all of those things are things that I like to do. But or that I would like to do, but I don't have any plans to do it. Thus, when filling out my life insurance application, I can honestly and truthfully answer that no, in the past two years, I haven't raced cars or boats or go-karts. I haven't gone scuba diving and I don't, I don't go skydiving and I don't fly airplanes. Now, with the insurance in force, that's not to say that I'll never do those things. But in the coming years, and I still have not done any of those things since buying insurance, but in the future, I bet that at some point I'll probably get a pilot's license. I bet that at some point I'll probably go on race cars around a, a racetrack. But now I've got my insurance locked in where I don't have to, to, to deal with that. So that's what I mean is that it's not uh, – you, you, you take the action when the underwriting is simple and you can answer truthfully and honestly. And that way, if in the future something changes, you're in, good, you're in a good situation. So assume for a moment that you get the coverage. The answer is when you, if you were to leave your job and go start a business, that coverage would not generally change as long as you've purchased a policy that would be guaranteed renewable to a certain age, most commonly guaranteed renewable to 65. Now, when you make that change, you don't have to report that to the insurance company. Um, you don't have to report anything about uh, what happened at the job. You don't have to report that you're in the new business. The coverage is guaranteed renewable. It's in force on your life and you've got the coverage. If you were disabled from the business, then at that point in time, that's when they would look at it and they would figure out, okay, he's disabled from this business and the contract, as long as you're getting the appropriate contract, is not written based upon the job you're doing at the time of dis- at the time of application. It's based upon the job that you're doing at the time of disability and that's why it can be very, very helpful. Now, with regard to business, the reason I said that I can't get disability insurance right now is because – my income for the past almost two years has been extremely low uh, as I've been starting this business. My expenses have been high. My income has been low. Thus, my income has been below the minimums for me to be able to get a disability insurance contract. And when I was a dis- when I was a disability insurance agent, I I was not permitted under the under that other business, which was very much an entrepreneurial business. I was not permitted to get a policy that was guaranteed renewable till age sixty five, based upon. On the nature of the business. Um, so some types of, of occupations, such as the job I was in as a financial advisor and insurance salesperson, that job uh, was not uh, amenable to uh, – they wouldn't issue a policy in the early years of that business that was guaranteed renewable to 65. Rather, they only issued a policy that was renewable for up to five years. And so when I left the um, – when I left Northwestern Mutual, I was able to keep that policy for a, uh, I can't remember a little while into my uh, entrepreneurship endeavor. But then I reached the maximum term of that policy was five years, and that policy lapsed. And because there are also some other extenuating factors, I work from home, which is a difficult for underwriting classifications. Disability insurance underwriters don't necessarily like people who work from home. It's not impossible to get, but it's more difficult to get. And the reason it's more difficult to get is because what if I file a claim? How do they 
prove that I'm disabled? How do they actually know? How can they honestly answer whether, yes, he's disabled or no, he's not disabled and deny the claim? It's difficult when people work from home. So I have a, a few factors that make it difficult for me to get disability insurance right now. Um, I intend to in the future, and I'll work through that, but I have a few factors that make it difficult. So long-winded way to say, no, your coverage doesn't change. And that's the backstory of why I recommend to people like you who have a job, who have a business on the side, go ahead and get the coverage. Now, while it's easy, a W-2 salary is the easiest thing to get disability insurance on, and it's the easiest thing to get a mortgage on. So those are two considerations for W-2 salaries, two valuable benefits. Go ahead and get it now. And then if in the future you decide to leave the company, or if in the future you decide to start a business, then you're covered under those circumstances circumstances. Go ahead with your next question. Thank you. So the next one is, um, so do you have any resources for getting disability insurance? I was looking at insure.com and then do you also recommend short-term disabilities or just long-term or both? I'm going to not answer the short-term versus long-term because I've just recorded immediately before we're recording this Q&A call. I've just finished a call with – excuse me, a standalone podcast which goes into that in depth. Uh, And any listener who's interested can listen to yesterday's episode and they'll get that answer there uh, in depth. Um, With regard to specific resources, I'm so torn because this is why – I've got to figure out a way to either find an insurance, a large insurance agency that I can trust with competent, knowledgeable insurance agents, or I got to start one or, or something. Because the short answer is it's very difficult to know how to do it. Okay. I would not, with disability insurance, I have, I, I would not buy disability insurance over the internet. And the reason I wouldn't, uh, especially if I were just a consumer, but knowing what I know, there are so many options in disability insurance that I want to make sure that I'm working with someone who actually knows what they're talking about and who actually has a clue about the policy benefits and they can design the policy that's appropriate for me. Um, it might be it might work fine for some people to buy 10 or 20-year level term insurance over the internet. Fine. Um, but it I would not be confident in buying disability insurance as a layperson in that situation, and I don't know anybody that I can recommend. It's possible that speaking with uh, somebody that you find on a website, I don't have any um, relationships with anybody. I don't have any um, – I used to use a broker that's online, but they don't work with individuals, so I can't help you there. It's possible that you could call up to some of those um, situa- some of those places and um, – uh, and, and get somebody who would know about it. But I would be very skeptical myself. Um, what you need to do is you need to find an, an insurance agent who's a, in, the, in the license is the life life and health license, is a life insurance agent who does a lot of work in disability. Most insurance agents that will, you'll meet, for example, who are at a property and casualty company and do a little life insurance on the side, they're not going to know anything about disability insurance. Many financial advisors don't know anything about disability insurance. They don't like selling it. And so the best thing that I would do and uh, is would be to call up one of the big three mutual companies. Uh, and this is the best recommendation. I got to figure out a way to get paid for this. Um, I would call up the local um, 
Northwestern Mutual, New York Life, or Mass Mutual office. And the way I would find an agent is I would call up, I would speak to a managing director or uh, whatever, whoever's in charge of an office, and I would tell them what you're looking for and ask them for a recommendation to one of their reps and tell them, here's what I need. I'm interested in purchasing this type of product. They'll either do the work with you or they'll recommend you to one of their more senior seasoned reps. And this was an area where many uh, – uh, those large um, mutual life insurance companies do a lot of business in disability insurance. And the reps in that, they'll either know a rep who specializes in disability insurance or they will um, have a background in that area uh, because those reps, because it's a traditional life insurance job, they have a depth and a background. That was where I learned so much about disability insurance. That would be how I'd approach it. Awesome. And last question, do they require uh, blood work and medical records? Yeah, all insurance underwriting um, will have different requirements depending on the amount of the policy. So usually they'll have a very basic level, and this is applicable to both life insurance and disability insurance, a very basic level uh, from uh, – that's available with no with with no medical with no uh, blood work no urine test no EKG uh, just simply some medical questions and they'll check your medical records. Then as you go up, they'll go ahead and uh, they'll order blood work. They'll do urine analysis. Uh, you go up, they'll do an EKG. When you go up the amounts, they'll go ahead and sometimes they'll do a physician exam. Uh, as you go up to the very high amounts of insurance underwriting, they'll do comprehensive medical exams uh, on you. So it all depends on the amount and the, the requirements of that company. Uh, the biggest thing that they rely on is medical records, uh, but they will uh, but they will also do some combination of those exams depending on, again, how much insurance. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joshua. You're welcome. All right. I got another caller here. 614 number. Go ahead with your question, please. Hi, Joshua. It's uh, Tom here. I've uh, just got a question um, about whenever my daughter was born, I opened up a savings account for her. And I'm just looking to know what, what your recommendations would be for investments um, over the long term. What do you hope that she spends or uses the money for? Um, I, w- I would like her to uh, use use the money for maybe a deposit for a house or um, just something like that. Okay. And how old is your daughter? Uh, she's only nine months. She's, she's not that old. Okay. And you're living in the United States here? No, I'm uh, in Australia. Okay. So when thinking about this, uh, I don't know much about the specific types of accounts and things that would be available in Australia. Uh, But where I go always first and foremost is not to a specific investment product but rather to education. And I do that um, just based upon the old axiom of give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. So I think especially with our kids, the first opportunity that we have is to teach them to fish. And depending on the amount of money that we're talking with, how much money um, have you saved or how much money do you intend to save into this account for her? Um, We've got just over $1,000 at the minute. Yeah, I'm I'm planning on it being considerable amount. Okay. So – so I, I think that first and foremost, you should look at 
what are the opportunities for her education? Now, at nine months, this is largely theoretical, and it's much more about just setting the money aside and allocating it for her. But I see so many opportunities to help people build wealth and to help people uh, gain an understanding of how finance works that are much more effective than saving for specific things. Uh, Many households uh, are in a situation where they'll happily spend and put aside $150 a month into a college savings account for their kid's college education. But then when when their sixth grader comes in and wants to take a trip uh, to meet a, a certain famous person or wants to go and start a business, they don't have any money to help fund and seed. Uh, they don't have any seed capital to help their sixth grader start a business. I'd much rather see money loosed from the restraints of things like college savings accounts or certain types of investments and be freed up for the education of uh, of the child, whether that's simply put into books, whether that's put into classes, whether it's put into educational um, seminars, uh, whatever it looks like within your local context, I'd first go there and I'd make sure that those types of things are fully funded. Buying a house is pretty easy to do. People do it all the time. In fact, buying a house with uh, with no money out of your own pocket is not that difficult. People do that all the time. And there are opportunities and ways to learn how that is. So if I were looking at a goal like helping my kid um, buy a house, then what I would look at is I would look at saying, how can I teach them the skill so that they can do that themselves? Because once – rather than just giving them the house, if they can – if I can teach my daughter to buy the house herself – and I can teach her, and, and at 16 years old, she's going to go ahead and buy her first rental house. If I can teach her how to do that, then she can buy as many houses as she wants and needs throughout the rest of her life, and she's not dependent on me to be the source of funds. I think that's a far more powerful place to start rather than to uh, just simply save it for the gift of, of a thing. If you give kids a thing, they're less likely to appreciate it than if they've worked and gotten the thing for themselves. And I think it can be a real handicap to give kids uh, things if we haven't also taught them how to get the things for themselves. So that's my first answer. Second answer, okay, let's assume that those those things are done because if you're going to put more considerable more money into it, those things are done. I would look and say, what are the contexts of – uh, of how – and this is the question you're asking. What's a sensible way to do it? First, I would just – $1,000 in my mind is, is, is primarily worthwhile as an investment if you are going to use it as a tool for teaching investment principles. So – I did a show recently called um, How I Teach My Eight-Year-Old to, to Earn Income, something like that. You can find it in the archives. But in that show, I laid out three different areas. I talked about um, helping them build employment skills, helping them build uh, uh, business skills, and helping them build investment skills. And I think all three of those are important. With $1,000 of seed money, I wouldn't do much unless I were using it as a teaching tool. So one useful way to do that would be to do something like buying a stock from a company that she's likely to have a 
a, a personal association with. In the U.S., you know, parents um, um, inculcate the love of Disney in their kids, and so they buy their kids Disney stock. Or if it's a local um, company that's near you that has a big presence in your town, buy the stock and then use that as a teaching tool to teach the ownership of business assets. So I would look at something like that and say, how can we put the money in there? And then I would use that as a way of showing how you can do something like live off of dividends and using it as, again, I'm still in the teaching tool uh, uh, rather than here's the specific thing to buy. Those types of ideas, I think, have a can have a transformative effect on the child to where then the opportunity will present itself to where they'll have options. You've got to look at um, when it comes down to specific investments to make. Uh, in your country, there may or may not be uh, there may or may not be options available to you for uh, uh, for things like. Uh, uh, you know accounts that would work. Most of the accounts in the United States um, don't work because uh, they're geared toward college. But there may be something available to you in Australia uh, that would work for you. So look to see if there's any kind of tax deferred account. If not, uh, you may just do something as simple as put it into an index fund. Uh, you may put it into just in a mutual fund and, and have it well managed because uh, if you're talking about her buying a house to live in, we're talking you know 20 years from now and there's plenty of time just to let it sit and grow. The final thought and idea I have for you is if I were in your shoes, and this is what I intend to do with my kids, um, I would go ahead and buy the house as part of a real estate investment portfolio with the goal of transitioning that to them. So if you say I've got $1,000 of seed capital and I'm going to use this $1,000 of seed capital as the basis for uh, a, a future down payment, well, go ahead and accumulate it. And maybe now when it's uh, – maybe it may take you five or six or eight years um, uh, to, to build up. I don't know how – depending on your savings rate, twenty or $30,000. Well, involve your kid in the whole process of going out and finding a house, finding a rental house, and let them know that it's going to be their house. It's going to be their house to have and to, to rent someday in the future. And use it – go ahead and buy the real estate at an earlier stage. Use that money as a down payment, but involve her in the process. And if you were going to do something like that, then I wouldn't tie it up um, in another investment. I just accumulated in a savings account uh, for that future use. Uh, that's what I intend to do with my kids. Any of that helpful, Tom? I know I kind of took the roundabout way to it, but what do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking a lot along the same lines as you. And yeah, that's all I've got. Thanks, Joshua. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for calling in, man. I really appreciate hearing from you. It's it's pretty cool. The amazing world of today. I, <laughs> I've i had a few of you Australian listeners correspond with me, but it's pretty humbling to think that uh, there you are on the other side of the world um, listening to me. So thank you for uh, thank you for calling in. Uh, next question here. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Uh, from Ireland, and in case the accent, but yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, next question here. I got an Oregon number. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hey, Josh. This is Mohammed. I have a quick question about uh, pension plans. For my job, I would have to have another. I would need to work almost another three years to invest into the pension, and I'm sort of trying to figure out what your thought process is on whether it's worth it to stick around another three years or whether to just forego the pension. What kind of dollar amounts are we talking about? So it would be, <clears throat> it would be. I'm a physician, and so it would be about twenty percent starting at age sixty-five of my highest three consecutive years average salary. So it would be about 20% of 300,000. So 
at age 65, it'd probably be about 60,000 a year. Okay. Um, so, and, the, and you need to work three more years to vest into that account? Yeah. Okay. So let's run, let's see if I can, <laughs> this is going to be a challenge. Let's see if I can do this live on the air. Um, so let's try to figure out some kind of present value of that account. And so the first thing that we can do is we need to ask about inflation. Is there is that $60,000 in inflation-adjusted terms, or is it just a straight $60,000? No. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it's just a straight 60000 Okay. So uh, that'll be simpler math, but if we just do this, let's just – okay. So let's pretend that you live from 65 to uh, 95 um, I'm going to give it a long lifespan. Of course, if you live till 66, it's uh, less important, but let's just get this is 65 to 95. Um, we expect life expectancy to continue um, increasing with increases in medical technology. You're a physician. You're probably in, you're in, in good shape. Okay, so 30, uh, 30 years, let's do $60,000 of income. Let's try to discount this. So $60,000 of Payments coming in, coming in. Future value is zero. <clears throat> and then um, we're going to put a zero in for the interest rate. So the present value at 65 would be $1.8 million. That would be, given those assumptions at your age 65, that would be $1.8 million. Now, the question is, how old are you now? Um, 38. Okay. So um, I don't want to slow the show down too much to like do these in inflation-adjusted terms, but it would be important to do that. And so we could just uh, – for now, uh, we could kind of just discount that for inflation to get a somewhat of an accurate number today. And what we would actually need to do in, in, uh, is run the calculation from 65 to 95 and – and work in the inflation calculation. But just for the sake of doing a live um, recording here, uh, let's do $1.8 million is the future value. And let's put this in as future value. 38, so 65 would be uh, 25, 27 years. And let's discount it at a 3% rate. And let's put in no payments. And so the present value of that fund would be $810,000. Okay. So you got to ask yourself the question. Let's just say it's about value in today's dollars of about $800,000. You got to ask yourself the question. Is it worth it to you to work for another three years in order to have an extra $800,000 of compensation, be a little bit lower by the, by the time we discount for inflation in the future, or would you rather just simply bail now and walk away from the eight hundred thousand dollars? That's the question that you have to that you have to answer. That's pretty good. Okay, yeah, I, I really couldn't think of it in terms of numbers, so that's that's really helpful. Yeah, it's uh, that's the way to do it. Uh, and if you want, um, you know, sign up for a, a, a consulting call, and I can help you with the math of actually um, of actually doing it in a proper inflation adjusted terms. Uh, but that's the way to do it. And then the answer is not, is going to depend on you. I walked away from my pension before it vested. Um, I walked away from two pensions before they vested to start radical personal finance. Uh, but I, they, when I looked at it, I said, I've got a compelling 
timing thing for me. I was looking at the market timing of my business and I was saying I've got a compelling reason to go now. Uh, I believe that this will lead me in a, in a direction. When I looked at the vesting schedule, and I looked at the money I was walking away with, I made the decision to walk away from a, some unvested money. But I had something compelling that was leading me to it. Uh, if I hadn't had something compelling, I mean, the pension statements were pretty sweet to start looking at. Uh, and so I didn't, you know, would have been would have been foolish. Sometimes in a situation, you, you might just simply consider an adjustment of your work scenario. So for example, maybe under the terms of your employment, you can, if you were, if you were planning on quitting and, and doing early retirement anyway, maybe you can just simply go down to a minimum level number of working hours or um, arrange some kind of arrangement that still keeps you employed in the vesting schedule, but um, minimizes some of the things of the job that you don't like. I would approach it and think through all those different angles. But basically, it's seven to $800,000 decision. Sounds good. Thank you, Josh. That's pretty helpful. Great. Awesome. Thanks for calling in. Fun questions today. <laughs> kind of all over the board. I thought they were going to be all disability, but uh, they were all over the board. So thank you guys for calling in. I love when these, these Q&A calls have um, lots of you to call in. I think they're really interesting. Keeps me on my toes. <laughs> Sitting here struggling off the top of my head for how to do that inflation calculation um, and figuring out how to do it on my calculator. Uh, I could do it, but I was I was grasping at, uh, at the exact um, – I was grasping at – the exact details to use and, and how to do it live. Uh, so I like that. It keeps me on my toes. Make sure that I'm doing my homework and not uh, that my skills are not getting rusty. Uh, so thank you to those of you who called in. I hope that these calls are useful to you. If you would like to have access to a future call like this in the future, um, this is a pretty cheap way to talk to me, get my advice on something. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Become a patron of the show. Uh, I think I've got it set yet. Yeah, uh seven bucks a month if you contribute at least seven bucks a month to uh, the show radicalpersonalfinance.com slash patron uh, seven bucks a month gets you access to these Q&A calls also um, in excess of that uh, if you'd like to join the other we've got a great Facebook group if you want to join at 14 bucks a month as well uh, or again I'm available to you if you'd like to talk with me personally about any challenge or situation that you've been facing radicalpersonalfinance.com slash phone call had some great phone calls I think I've done something like 15 or 16 in the last week. Uh, and I've learned a lot and I think it's been a really, really good fit. So I'm very excited about that program. Uh, and I've enjoyed getting to talk to many of you who are listening. Um, I think that's it for my announcements. I'm out. Um, y'all have a great week.